Basketball is back, everybody. It's Bobby Manning. That's James Zuba. First time talking in a while on the Syracuse basketball podcast. And Virginia will walk away with a victory tonight. They are now 11-0 under Tony Bennett in ACC openers here. And as quickly as we had hope, we said this in Slack <laughs> the, the day before, you can make this team anything you want it to be in your head before the season starts. And then once it goes out there and you see what actually happened, you have to make sense of it. So for me, going into the season with all the optimism, with a ton of hope for the offense, we now have to grapple with the fact that Virginia or not, the Orange lost 48-34 to 34 on opening night. Tons of angles to go at from this one. James, my opening thought is what is wrong with the system out there? I get it, 100%. Tough Virginia defense, weird game, new team. Those three factors are going to be what everyone's talking about for the next week before Colgate comes to town. But I'm not, I'm, as optimistic as I was, I'm not letting them off easy after that one. That was historically bad, and you don't need me to tell you that. 30 four points 34 it was syracuse, embarrassing syracuse scored 34 everybody wants to talk about it cole anthony had 34 points by himself in north carolina's debut that's astounding on both ends syracuse only scored 34 points against virginia and cole anthony scored as many by himself against notre dame uh, yeah obviously an abomination on the offensive end for syracuse and Seeing a lot of Syracuse fans ready to jump off the ledge, uh, <laughs> the a lot of a lot of immediate reactions, and and I, I think deservedly so. Like you know, Syracuse fans should be disgruntled and discouraged after that offensive performance. No, no doubt about it. Um, I, I think a lot of people are quick to reference the offensive struggles of the last you know four or five years with the Orange, and and deservedly so. Um, but but let's not be so quick to jump to conclusions. And and I I understand where you know people are, are frustrated with the offense the last few years, but it is a new team this year, and I think the jury's still out. You know we shouldn't be so quick to to jump to conclusions with a small sample size. And let's keep in mind that since Syracuse joined the ACC, Virginia has never finished outside of the top ten in Ken Palm defensive efficiency. That's over the last six seasons. They've never finished outside. They've only finished outside of the top five one year. And the one year they finished outside of the top five, they were number seven in 2016. So this is an elite defensive program. We know Tony Bennett. We know Virginia plays the pack line. They're tough. They make it tough on you. They cut off passing lanes. They stop dribble drives. And they did that against Syracuse last night. Could get nothing going against the pack line. I love what Tony Bennett does over there. Like, nothing changed. They have it's, all those players go out the door, and they are doing it like they've been doing it for years. You almost have to talk about this on the level that you know, Jim Beheim's zone has been able to brutally, consistently push Syracuse deep into the postseason. Well, Virginia has done that kind of consistent defensive dominance 
in the regular season to where it looks like they're going to be an upper-tier ACC team with that kind of performance. Now, they, they weren't good by any means in this game. Their offense was a mess. They were chucking threes like crazy. They don't seem to have an idea of who they are on that end of the floor yet, which is what makes this infuriating. They scored 48 on 40% shooting in this one. They don't get any threes to go against the zone. So on a night like that, you look at Syracuse and say, this was a golden opportunity. Just get to 50 and you can win this. And as Syracuse started to miss floor space, they just started chucking like crazy. It, it was. I, I want to run through this event because I, I look at this through the scale of an event, and it was an exciting game. I was so excited all day to go to this. You get the news a couple hours before the game starts that Carmelo Anthony is going to be there. And all my optimism finally flowed into me giving Syracuse a chance in this one. I thought that they were going to be able to get their shooters going. I thought that Quincy Garrier might have a little bit of a coming out party in this one. And none of those things happened. Where do you think it went wrong early? In those opening minutes, you had both teams going back. Great stops against each other. And Syracuse actually broke through first. That pack line came up on Carey. He dumped it right underneath to Sidibe. It wasn't the prettiest layup in the world, but it was the first strike as both teams were grinding it out defensively. Yeah, as you mentioned, Carmelo at the Dome last night. Uh, very cool to see Melo back. Uh, spoke with the team before before tip off, and you know spoke with Beheim. So very cool. However, Carmelo has never been a part of a win in a Syracuse opener. Uh, of course, the 2002 season Syracuse opened against Memphis at Madison Square Garden, and Syracuse lost in that game. So, mm. so Mello, Mello might be bad luck there. We might have a little bad luck with Mello. Yeah, but, this was only the fifth Bayheim season opening loss, so he's been part of two. He's been two out of five, forty percent. So that's that's not too good if you're Carmel. Uh, however, yeah, to answer your question, uh, I th- I think Syracuse really couldn't get it going from the jump. They 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 really struggled to to make shots. Uh, you know, the first score of the game was a pick and roll with Jalen Carey and Barama Sidibe. And of course, you know, Virginia's hard hedging on these screens. So you're getting pressure from two um, Barama Barama hits the roll and then, and then Jalen passes it to him. And it, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a tough uh, finish for Barama either. As soon as he got the ball, there were three guys around him and he, he turned and, you know, he made a good play, but out, outside of that, Syracuse struggled to make shots. You know, Elijah missed a few, um, couldn't really get anything going again. As I said, the dribble drives are tough. They really shut down the, the driving lanes and, um, that was really the the thing all night. I mean, Syracuse just really had no answers there. And I, I do find it a little bit interesting that, you know, the one guy that was capable of beating his man off the bounce didn't play very much last night. And that's that's Jalen Carey. Um, you know, we saw we saw Buddy get to his spot a little bit, but he, he wasn't beating anybody off the dribble. He was just sort of getting to his spot and pulling up over his guy. Um, but so he had he had marginal success there. And then, of course, Joe Girard came in and he ran the point and he couldn't really get by anybody either. And, you know, that's that's partly on him and that, that's partly on uh, Jim Beheim. But, you know, it mostly just has to do with the Virginia defense. I mean, like you said, they they kind of picked up right where they left off, just plug and play right into the system. And they're, they're playing elite defense right to start the year. It was a bit of a psychotic post game, but I did catch up with Girard afterward and he, he said there's not much you can do to prepare for that defense. And. The way Syracuse approached this in that sense was odd because you're going to throw a rookie 
22 minutes, mostly on the ball, in that position, trying to make plays against that. It, it was perplexing how Carey only plays 18 minutes in this one. He did have a one turnover later in that first half driving, but it wasn't like he was funneling the ball away or anything like that. Struggled on the drive, missed two huge free throws early when Syracuse mm-hmm. was within that 6-8 to eight range. But I'm with you. Stunning to see Carey with this short of a leash this early in the season when he is the one with so much experience in the zone being there for a year and having some time on the ball when Syracuse was in a pinch last year. They'd go to him a little bit in that sense, get some pace going. In this game in particular, Syracuse had to speed it up a little bit because once Virginia got caught up in that defense and the way they were missing threes especially, there was an opportunity to push the pace in this one a little bit that Syracuse never took. Very surprised with the short lease on on Jalen Carey last night. And as you mentioned, you know, he did get into the lane the one time. He tried to use his body against Kihei Clark. and He know, got Kihei stuffed bad out. against Diakite twice, too. He did. And, you know, the two the two missed free throws hurt. And I in the second half, I thought he'd get a little bit more op- opportunity. But you had one guy on the perimeter being aggressive and looking to make a play and get to the rim. And, of course, Diakite has the block, but you, you retain possession there. And, of course, you know, he comes out after that, and Joe Girard goes in. But, you know, Girard comes in, and he comes barreling down the lane, and, you know, he turns the ball over, and, and he stays in. So I don't really understand. And, and then in the postgame, you know, press conference, Beheim says that Girard wasn't ready for a game like this. Well, if he's not ready, then, then why'd you play him? And uh, I think Joe can be a very good player, and he was aggressive looking for his shot. And I, I thought he, you know, he played, he played hard in, in, but, but that's, that's not the point. The point is that you want to have a guard who can, who can attack off the bounce and you have, you have shooters out there. You, you have Elijah and you have Buddy out there spacing the floor. You have shooters. I thought what Syracuse really needed last night was a guy uh, who could, who could get into the paint a little bit and attack off the dribble from the point guard position. Carey has to play over 20 minutes in this game at the very least. You need the penetration out there, and he was the only guy, like you said, on the bounce trying to get into that position. And he gets blocked by Diakite for the first time, and he's thrown right on the bench. I think that's where his string of not playing began. Similar situation against Carleton in the preseason. He's out for much of that first half while they're trying out some of these rotation guards. And if you're going to do that, at least commit to putting those guys in the right position to succeed. Bryson... Not too much at all on this one. Just came in and flung a few threes. So he didn't make much use of what he's able to do, catch and shoot wise. And Gerard on the ball. I know he has that step back. I know he can dribble a little bit. But you want to put him in the best position to succeed too, which is spot up shooting. I think they did that with Buddy Beheim, getting him a few, quite a few looks outside from three. He had eight attempts in this one. I'd say about four were wide open that just bounce off the back of the rim. So Hughes, Bayheim, you lose a ton of shooting from those two off just sporadic shooting nights from both of them. And I thought they both got loose for a few good looks that just went flying all over the place. So you can chalk that up to opening night, which is pretty much what Syracuse did. But everything else, I think, is coaching in this one. I don't know what they were doing from an adjustment standpoint once things started to go rough in that first you know, 10 to 20 minutes of this game. And the worst part, they were right there all night long. This was never, ever a blowout. Even the final score is 
14 points. There was never a point in this game where Virginia separated themselves. They didn't look like a team capable of separating themselves. So all Syracuse needed was that one adjustment, that one burst, that they almost got at the end of the first half but couldn't sustain from there. And instead, people were leaving with six minutes to go in this one in a game that never became a blowout. Like, the fans were forced to react in a way that, you know, a 20-25 point game would force them to react. And instead, Syracuse was pretty much just waving the towel about, like, you know, in an 8-10 to 10 point game. I, I, it was perplexing, front to back. Virginia won this game scoring 48 points. And I, I'm, not, I'm not too sure how many other teams across the country could do that. And it is opening night, and we'll get to that in a moment. But Syracuse played good enough defense to win this game. Uh, when you look at the stats... I love the Vir- defense. Virginia only shot 16% from three and 40% from the floor for the game, and they had 16 turnovers. That's that's at least one area where, where Syracuse can can hang their hat on from, from last night is... You know, and we're we're recording this Thursday night, so by the time you hear this, it'll probably be Friday. But you know, Syracuse only had nine turnovers in that game, which is which is encouraging, especially against a Virginia team that's right up in your shorts all game. Not enough offense in this one. You know, Syracuse shoots thirteen of fifty-five from the floor to finish the game, and that's that's not going to get it done on any night. Um, but. You know, I, I think it does have a little bit to do with coaching. You know, you saw a lot of guys just trying to go one on one and get a shot, and that's what Virginia wants you to do. That that's that's the position they're trying to put you in. And it is opening night, and I'm not a fan of having these conference games to start the year. And neither is Beheim. Uh, he had some some interesting words in the post game locker room, and just called it you know a money grab and. It, he he called the spade a spade. I mean, let's let's face facts here. The the ACC network has launched. Uh, the league is going to twenty league games this year, and these games had to be played. And and somebody thought it would be a good idea to to open the year with league games. Now, from a fan perspective, from in from our our perspective, a media perspective, sure, you know th- this is great on paper, and not that we're on the coaching staff, but. It's it's an added element that doesn't seem to make much sense. When you have 20 league games and you have one to open the year, one in mid-December, and then 18 after January, well, it, there's just really no flow. And we all we all know what it's about. We all know it's about getting subscribers and getting viewers and, and getting more money for the ACC network. But there, there's really no reason to, to open the season with a league game. And I think we've seen an ugly brand of basketball, not, not just last night in Syracuse, Virginia, but I was down. Um, I was. I'm in New York, and I went to Madison Square Garden for the Champions Classic, and we saw an ugly brand of basketball there between Duke and Kentucky. Kentucky or, or Kansas, excuse me. Kansas had 28 turnovers against Duke, and if it weren't for Tyrese Maxey saving the day for Kentucky against Michigan State, I'm not sure we would have saw a good game in that second contest either. So I, I do. I do think there is a component where the the sport needs to generate interest. But at what cost? Because no team is coming out starting the season playing their best basketball. It's tough. People don't acknowledge that college basketball is starting up this time of year because it is usually either that hard slate of games where I'm looking at Friday night, CSU versus Duke. No, no one wants to watch that. ACC Network or ESPN, wherever. No one wants to watch that. 
you hope that UVA Syracuse is something that people will tune into. The problem is with college basketball today, and this is something that they're just unable to grapple with in general, is that players don't stick around the way they used to. And even though you have some recognizable faces on both of these teams, if you're very interested in a Virginia or a Syracuse, Diakite, you know, we all love Marek. We were all tuning in to see him for his third season here. Nationally, there just isn't that flash appeal. You get introduced to some big-time prospects, like Quincy by the end of the year will probably be someone that at least NBA fans are interested in from the sake of seeing what he's capable of at the next level. But at this point in the year... Guys like him are going to come out and struggle a little bit. Teams like Virginia and Syracuse that both lost quite a bit of their core, who they were as teams, are going to struggle to define themselves. And ultimately, vindication for Bayheim and the people who are skeptical of this. I was so excited for it. Me being the fanatic of college basketball, you too. I'm sure we were both thrilled about this happening because it gives us something to get excited about right away as the season begins. It doesn't work. And Bayheim, all the skeptics of it, saw it play out because Virginia was a disaster in this one. I don't think they walk away from this feeling any better about themselves despite the W. And Syracuse took a tough loss early in the season that they probably feel that they can could have done better if they played this in February, January, that time of year. They probably lose the way Virginia's beat them up in recent years. But neither coach probably feels good about this. Uh, Jeff Goodman, last night I was talking to him, said this is probably over. The ACC is not going to continue this in years to come. So rest in peace. They tried. I thought it was a nice attempt, and it didn't work. So we'll put it to bed. We'll see Virginia and Syracuse in February next year. And, and you know, nobody's going to feel bad for Jim Beheim. Nobody's going to feel bad for, for Syracuse. And, uh, I'm sure nobody's going to feel bad for Michigan State, and nobody's sure, certainly not going to feel bad for for Kansas, given the current circumstance. Michigan State coming off a Final Four run, and Kansas with an NCAA investigation uh, hanging over its head, and, and some serious level one allegations. And Jim Jim Beheim hasn't been the most uh, the most popular figure among the casual casual observers of the college. Yeah, games. and he he comes <laughs> off looking really bad, complaining about it last night too, when there's a big 34 hanging on the board. So that's the other aspect of this one too, is that it's no excuse for how they came out and played in this one. I don't think you can chalk up this loss to it being Virginia, it being too early, with the degree of poorness that they showed, just disgraceful basketball across the board. I, I don't think you can just chalk it up to a tough matchup early in the year i think that that is a big part of it and i also think that there there are some some syracuse fans that are very upset with the offense and and as i mentioned rightfully so and those people might be right they might be right but they're not definitively right yet there could be some serious offensive issues with this team and it is still the same coaching staff as it has been for the last few years. So there could be some offensive troubles with this team, maybe more than we, we had originally preconceived. But you're not right yet. And what I mean by that is it's a very small sample size. It's one game, and you're going against, like I said, the top five defensive team in the country for the last six years. So let's see how they play over the next four games you got another tough one next week against the Colgate team that, that gave Tennessee a shot 
you know, a little bit of a run for their money in the NCAA tournament last year. So we'll see how they play again. And then they, they've got three more before they head down to New York City for, for the NIT season tip-off. So those people might be right. But I think it's a little bit too soon to draw any conclusions from this game as far as the offense goes. Let me hear you on this one, then, because this is a move I'm second-guessing today. Thought it was interesting when I heard it minutes before the game. It was a intriguing approach to start the season with, especially given how Bayheim likes to handle this team. He switches Marek Dolajai into the starting lineup for Quincy Guerrier, who had played that position all summer through Italy in the preseason. And that gives you a lineup with five players who have played the zone in a previous season. And it gives you the most coherence with the zone from last year. Marek, Sidibe, Hughes playing underneath. And then, of course, you got Beheim and Carey up top who played together last year. Then all of a sudden, Quincy gets thrown into a swing where he's coming off the bench, flinging threes, and gets 13 minutes in this one. That that's my big second guess of the night. What happened there? No problem with that. None. Uh, I think one, it's it's a great move to get some more experience in a game like this when you're opening up against a tough conference opponent to begin the year. I have no problem going with a junior at the forward, uh, a more experienced guy, a more versatile guy, and someone you can rely on. I think it was a good move. And especially with the way that Quincy played in the last exhibition game, uh, he looked more content to shoot the three, uh, was was less interested in driving and getting to the rim, and he didn't rebound. And we it's saw that again last night. Quincy, same thing last night, played 13 minutes, did not have a rebound in that 13-minute span. And his, his approach in that game was startling. He took four shots, and three of them were from three. He's not a guy. He looks like O'Shea Brissett to start the year last year where he's going to have to start getting to the rim or getting some shots around the rim and offensive rebounding to get his game going and then step out and hit that three. Uh, I think if he's starting to, if he's coming into the game and starting to try to get a three pointer, that's very tough to do, especially with his game. He's going to be a guy that's going to have to slash, get around the rim and, and finish and get some offensive rebounds. That should be his game. And then if you're open, take the three, but that's a really tough thing to do to come into the game, especially off the bench and have your, have you try to get shots up from three. So I, I think for him, he's really got to do a little bit more around the rim and no problem with, with Marek starting and playing. My, by the way, Marek and Elijah both played 40 minutes last night. They're going to need Marek to do that this year. We talked about this before we went on the air. I saw one play that encouraged me last night. And, of course, it was Marek. Marek might very well be the best passer on this team. He gets into the lane once, off a roll from Gerard. once Gerard took over the point guard, hits a nice little floater because, you know, that defense rises up on the ball handler, drops down low as the ball moves into the paint, which it did in a lot for Syracuse. It does there for Dolajai. He gets a nice little floater to go. Another time, they get up hard on him. They can't do that floater move or get to the rim and he skipped a pass out to Bayheim who hit a three is only three of the game that was probably that big 14 point burst at the end of the first where I thought Syracuse had found something Hughes stole a ball back after he lost it got a three-point play during that stretch and you know Syracuse both broke Virginia down when their defense wasn't set started to identify some things that they were doing defensively that they could exploit 
And it's unfortunate because I do think they produced some quality three-pointers toward the end of the first, early in the second, that just didn't fall. So part of this was just a horrific shooting night from Syracuse's perspective. I think all those double teams that you see up at the top and defenders not knowing where they're going to be, it's a very unpredictable defense, so that probably hurts shooting in some regard. But they're going to need Dolajai out there all game long this year, I think, from a passing perspective because we saw how they approached this game. It was almost ball handled by committee. You had Carey to start the game. They jump right to Hughes. They go to Gerard. Even Bayheim getting to put it on the floor a little bit in this one. I think at this point, the safest ball handler that this team has is Marek above the break and Marek getting the ball in the low post and quickly shuffling it out. Marek might have been Syracuse's best player last night. He, you know, he only finished with four points and he was two from eight from the floor. Not a great shooting night. Nobody else had a great shooting night either. But he did have nine rebounds in a game where Syracuse got out rebounded forty-seven to twenty-eight. So yeah. that can't be understated enough. And he had the two assists. And he might have had another one, too, looking to connect with Elijah Hughes on that back door. But Hughes got fouled. And as you mentioned, the best offensive play Syracuse had all night was a broken play. When Gerard was bringing the ball up and Syracuse is looking to run the wheel. And Marek gets it and then skips skips to the opposite wing and finds Beheim for the three. That might have been the, the best offensive play of the night. And it wasn't even a set play. It was a broken offensive set. So, uh, you know, as stated, I, I don't I don't know if you want Marek bringing the ball up. I think if he can get the rebound, no problem with him getting it out and, and going, you know, taking it himself and trying to push pace. Uh, but you definitely want to want to have your point guard bringing the ball up uh, to me. To me, that's Jalen Carey, um, whoever backs him up there. No, no problem there. And then if a team throws on a little bit of pressure, no problem with Elijah Hughes being a little bit of a pressure release you know, throwing it to him and let him, let him get over half court until you can get set up. Syracuse is going to get a chance to experiment quite a bit over these next few weeks. Colgate, Seattle, the likes of them are coming to the Dome. Finally, an opportunity for Beheim to see what he has in terms of Robert Braswell, Jesse Edwards, who appeared later in this game. I still think the biggest question on this roster is center. And that came into fruition big time toward the end of the preseason. Sadibe did not look good in the preseason. Largely uninvolved in this one, too, which is disappointing because he had a monster trip in Italy. He's healthy by all regards. And I thought he had some flashes early in the preseason. Later, it started to fall apart. And again here, Huff, Diakite, getting position on him inside and hauling the ball in right over him on a lot of different plays. Syracuse probably still loses this game if they handle the rebounding, but it turns into a double-digit game through four offensive rebounds by Diakite, Huff getting his hand on the ball a few other times. He probably should have had more than two offensive rebounds. Marek counteracted that a little bit. He, he was able to catch some of the tip-outs that went his way, I felt like, but they have some serious concerns on the interior there. And on a night like this, I know it's Virginia. I know that... He, Beheim felt compelled to tighten that rotation. But why not give a guy like Edwards a chance? Why not go to Braswell? It's a bigger opponent, but it's still the same time of year. And if you're going to lose regardless, then why not? He, he kept those guys squarely on the bench throughout this game, and Sadibe felt largely uninvolved through 22 minutes. Yeah, Barama really shot himself in the foot, I thought, in the first half when he picked up his first foul 80 feet away from the basket. <laughs> I that's saw a that. foul that you cannot afford to have, especially in a game like this. 
And don't you know, on the next play, he comes down and then he picks up another foul and he's got to go to the bench. So you want to save that foul because if you do come down on that next play and you do pick up your first foul, it's only your first. Now you've got two. Now you've got to come out, and now Syracuse has to do some different things. And those uh, are probably the plays where Beheim looks at this and say, "All right, these guys just—they're not ready." And I think that's why he reacted the way he did after the game because there were spots throughout the game where you look at players making individual plays like that, and you're just like, "All right, what are you doing here?" Different strategy for sure. Not having Barama in there, and you know Marek can play a little bit of center, and. Jesse Edwards only played five minutes last night, and that was in the second half. He did come in, and he did he did get a bucket on a little bit of a floater. But what do you think of the bold move not to go with the secret offensive weapon, Earl Braswell? I look at it, and I say, what's the reasoning there? Is it just a perception that he's part of that bench cast? I don't understand it, because he had a sensational preseason Maybe you just chalk that up to that big shooting night and the fact that you're playing Carleton and Damon. But if we're talking real tangible basketball tape that we have on him, we know that he can play defense. NC State last year, he was a star playing the back line of that zone. I don't know how great he'd be at the middle, which is probably the only place they could have feasibly put him in this one. Quincy not getting minutes, probably tops him not getting minutes in that regard. He ends up leaning on Marek and Sidibe a little bit there too. But it felt like there was room to give him a chance in this one. Edwards ultimately got a chance, brought some energy off the bench. The game wasn't quite over at that point. Probably was, but you know, from a time standpoint, there was still plenty of time to go. It was stunning that Braswell didn't get a shot even during that juncture. It's stunning to me, considering that you had Sidibe out and you had Marek playing the center. And obviously, Elijah is going to suck up a lot of minutes. We know he's going to play 35 minutes a game at least. Uh, But you had Marek at center, and then Quincy wasn't giving you anything from the forward position. So just a a little bit stunning that he didn't go with Braswell, especially given his performance in the exhibition. Uh... You know, nine guys played last night with Edwards only getting those five minutes. And we know Bayheim's going to tighten up the rotation. He's certainly not going to play 12 guys like he did in the first exhibition. But do you think that Braswell will get a little bit of run against Colgate next week? He's going to because I think Syracuse is going to get back into that mode of let's see what we have with Edwards. Let's see what we have with Braswell. They kind of knew what they had in Braswell, though, which is what frustrates me in that regard. Now, this is low among my gripes from this game. Braswell probably doesn't swing this in any tangible way, which is what Beheim can probably look at us and say, like, you really think Braswell was going to swing this one? Probably he would not. He would absolutely. <laughs> so we're getting a little. We're gonna, <laughs> you don't know shit. We're getting, we're getting a little deep in our gripes in this one. I was just concerned about the offensive approach. We can probably reasonably second-guess the way they use carry in this one. And they're probably going to figure it out in coming weeks, which is good. I'm not overreacting to this team's outlook. I'm just overreacting to their ability to make key adjustments in a big game like this where things aren't working ideally because things aren't going to work in an ideal sense for this team all year. 
they're not just going to throw out their veterans, get a great defensive performance, get some from Hughes and Bayheim shooting, and just figure it out on the final scoreboard. They're going to have to make some tough adjustments as a coaching staff this year against teams like this if they want to make the tournament. And my biggest concern out of this one isn't will Syracuse figure it out. It's will the coaching staff figure it out at times like this and not just chuck it up to, oh, we have a young team. Oh, that opponent was tough. That's what was really concerning for me out of this one because that's what they did post-game. Minimal adjustments on the offensive end, but did you like the decision to go to the press? Yeah, you have to. I always think it's a good thing for this team. You probably saw a few moments there where it could have shifted in the other direction. I'd like to... I'm not going to do it. Should I do it? You could do it. (laughs) I'd like to see man in that sense. Because uh, we, we uh, heard we, we heard the players in the preseason say, we like playing man. We heard Sadive say that. We heard Hughes say that. They practice it. It's something that can get the pace going up a little bit, which is what they needed in this one. The press is just kind of, oh, we're down 10. We need a few miracles. Let's press. If you really feel like the pace isn't working for you, if the defense isn't working the way they want it to because Huff was catching those backline passes, the guards were getting in on those reboundings, Clark had 11 rebounds in this one. Are you kidding me? I mean, none on the offensive end, so again, pass that a little bit. But things weren't working on the boards. Things broke down defensively. Why not try out man? I I, I mean, Bayhan just stuck to his guns in this one, which is what we expect him to do. But in a game like this, you have to be willing to adjust. And they didn't. Kihei Clark with 11 rebounds. Kihei Clark is 5'9". He's the shortest player in this game and he had more rebounds than any single Syracuse player. That's going to be a problem for Syracuse. If you've got the 5'9 guy out there going in and getting rebounds, as you mentioned, none of them offensive, of course, but you can't have a 5'9 guy go out there and get more rebounds than any single one of your own players. So that's that's a point of concern. But, you know, let's as you mentioned, let's see how Syracuse does over these next few games. Let's see if they can get on the boards a little bit. Let's see if they can get it going offensively. These these the team played fine offensively against you know inferior competition against those teams in Italy and uh, of course the two the two preseason exhibitions. So uh, let's let's see if they can get going over these next four games. Let's see what those those games look like, and then we can start to form some some more accurate opinions about what the season's going to look like. And you know I, I agree with you. I mean I, I don't think that all is lost. Uh, uh, it's not a matter of turning a a, a refocus on the season just yet after one game um but but let's see you know we'll we'll see what we get against Colgate next week I want to talk about this as an event a little bit because there were some cool moments from this one some recruits in the house which was a big deal too any wine this week though I'm out on it this week it was a hectic week for me you had your month off the line so is anything piqued your interest since you've gotten back into it no no wine this week other than one glass of pinot noir at madison square garden (laughs) uh opened it up with uh with just one one glass there so it it was enjoyable but but nothing to write home about all right three quick hits on the game off the court did you see the guy with the orange hair (laughs) was that the guy that dapped up mellow yes so this guy, <laughs> smooth as can be, walks onto the court for one of those 
things that they do where they have you sit down in a coach and if you make a shot you win something i didn't catch what he won but it was probably worth a couple hundred bucks so you know he sits down in the chair you probably got to get a little focused to get that down but no he's looking over at mellow and he's like he, he grabs the mic they're trying to ask him all these you know routine questions they're trying to stick to the script and he just grabs the mic and goes mellow my wife loves you so the thing to say <laughs> So, you know, whatever that was. And then he, you know, the lady grabs the mic back. She goes back to the script. He just takes the ball, flings it up, nails it. (laughs) (laughs) What a legend. And he runs over to Mello, gets a big high five from him, walks off the court with his couple hundred dollars. And that was the biggest play of the night. Either that or the Dolajai assess. That was number two if Dolajai had the play of the night. Oh, man, it might have been a Jay Huff play. I still got nightmares about that. But, hey, man, it, it, it beats the Dome Ranger. So if we can get more of that guy, sure, we're, I'm all for it. What do you think of Melo coming back for that one? Uh, Adam Weitzman had him in the house. It seems like he was a fill-in for Floyd Mayweather. I, I talked to Adam a little bit after it. I, I heard that he wasn't really talking about the whole Mayweather thing, so I didn't even bother asking. He said that him and Melo had dinner in New York. Came up with the idea to bring him back up. It was his first time since his Jersey retirement being there. And sworn by Dome security. Couldn't get that close to him. Certainly couldn't ask him any questions. uh, But he brought it with the outfit. That yellow, red shock, you know, lines going across, hat that matched the jacket, looking sharp with the glasses. It was an A-plus uh, suit from my perspective. What do you think of his wear? What do you think of his return? Man, I'm gonna sell there. I'm <laughs> like a, a mix of like Sherlock Holmes, and I don't even know what he was going for there. He's, I don't know what that was about. It was like Colonel Mustard, Sherlock Holmes. I, I didn't like it, but hey, uh, cool, cool to have Mello back in the dome. That's awesome. I, I think it's the first time he's been back just for a game. Um, probably never had the time to come back other than. You know, the times that he was honored, uh, you know, obviously came back for the opening of, of the Car- Carmelo K. Anthony Center or just Mello, as they call it, um, came back up for the, the Jersey retirement against Georgetown and another game that Syracuse lost. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mello, maybe not very good luck, but uh, no, very, very cool to, to see him come up. Uh, obviously, the fans love him. Uh Hard to hard to put into words everything that that 2003 title meant to not only the program but the city and you know as you know Bobby I'm, I'm from Syracuse and I grew up during that that run you know I was 11 years old when Syracuse won the title so uh, it meant everything and it, it still does mean everything to that city uh, what he and Jerry and you know Hakeem and you know guys like Josh Pace who are still legends and and guys like Quet Duaney and, and Craig Forth so. Um, very cool to see him up there. Uh, cool to see him talk with Jerry a little bit, talk with the team before the game. Uh, you could tell, you could tell the community still really loves him. They embraces him, and um, you know, as he said after the game, there's no love like Syracuse love, and I, I find that to be so true. Obviously, that hits hits very close to home for me, uh, but there's I've never seen anything else quite like Syracuse, and everywhere that I've been, and you know, it's a big world out there. Obviously, I haven't been too many places, but never quite seen a community like the Syracuse community. So very cool to have Carmelo up there to, to be celebrated in, in an event like that. 
And it, it shows me how I continue to shift my view on him. And a lot of people have as he's fallen out of the NBA the way he has. We're all starting to look back on what he was at Syracuse, those early days in the NBA. He was a sensation. He's an international figure for what he's done with Team USA. Mm-hmm. He's one of the great basketball icons of all time. And you see the way people react when they hear that Carmelo Anthony's going to be at that game. I know I woke up from my nap and was like spinning. My head was spinning that he was going to be there. Last minute decision, seeing him in person like that was so cool. Love that he talked to the team. Hope he was able to talk to some of the recruits. I saw Woody Newton at the game. He hadn't gotten to talk to him yet at that point. Maybe he did before he left. Um, Kennedy Chan. Melo was there as well, so cool for those guys to be in the house when Melo was there. you got to give a shout-out to Dave Bing, too. I know we're not all into that with how old that is. You know, we weren't growing up watching Dave Bing. I'm sure Bayheim was more excited about that than Melo being there. But uh, tough for Melo. I hope he finds a new avenue for him to pursue in the next few years because it seems like NBA basketball is over for him. Um, and... And I would say that it was just another tough look for him in the long string of downturns that he's had in the last few years to do that pump-up speech for Syracuse, get the guys going, and then having them go out and score 34 points. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Melo's career, his NBA career is finished as far as I'm concerned. But uh, yeah, as you mentioned, you know, I, I think that People did get to see him in a little bit different, a little bit of a different light. And you know, I read Chris Carlson's post about about Carmelo, and you know, he just said that Melo declined an opportunity to go to a more private location within the dome. You know, he he stayed out there and he he took pictures and he signed autographs and you know met with the community. So um, that that says a lot about Carmelo and, and who he is and, and the type of character that he has to to do something like that. No, nobody is forcing him to stay out there and, you know, pose for photos and, and meet with fans and those sorts of things. And, you know, you saw in the video him coming in, he's just talking to talking to guys in the back a little bit, you know, he's, he's very friendly and uh, says a lot about who Carmelo is. So, uh, but yeah, you know, as, as you mentioned, the Syracuse had a few recruits on hand, uh, Woody Newton, who's already committed for next year, another long lengthy forward that Syracuse will welcome to, to the team. And you had Kennedy Chandler, a class of 2021 recruit, as well as Roddy Gale. Syracuse just offered him for the game, or at least the news just broke that he offered him before the game. He's a class of 2022 player. And I don't know if you saw the falls with Paul Harris, but he was featured in that film, uh, you know, right, right around that area, Niagara Falls. He plays, I believe he plays at Lujai. Is it? No, not, not Lujai. Uh, Luport. I believe it's Luport. Don't, don't quote me on that. Uh, but, you know, a, a top 50 player, I believe he's ranked number 41 in the class. So uh, good on Syracuse for extending a little bit off, off of there before uh, before the game. And, you know, he's not necessarily a hometown kid, but definitely within the, the Syracuse influence all the way out there in, in western New York. And Chandler is that big time point guard prospect that they've had that they've driven some of their best teams in recent memory with the Carter Williams and the Tyler Ennis of the world. Not sure how deep in they are on him. You know, he's a five-star prospect, one of the best point guards in that class. And Syracuse got five, one of his five visits through the string and into February of next year. Uh, he's off to Ole Miss next, just came from Tennessee, who's obviously deep in on him. Great to be in the mix on a guy like that. And we talked with uh, Coach Archery, read about this. They 
having those guys in the NBA again, you know, visible, Melo being back at the Dome, Carter Williams finding some NBA success again. It was a little, you know, off string for them there, but Brissett gets in with the Raptors. Maybe Battle finds a way back into the league. If these guys are able to be around the Dome more often, whatever capacity, the guys going out of the game, the guys who are in the game being visible, I tend to think, I don't know for sure, you know, I'm still testing the waters on this, but I think that makes a difference with guys. And to have Melo in the Dome, you know, Woody's committed, but Chandler's there taking a look on. I don't know who else was there in terms of recruits, but those are the two guys I knew of. Awesome, awesome thing for this team early in the year. A huge W, if not a W on the court for Syracuse in that game. Bobby, I'm, I'm convinced you just got to go to the NBA. You got to go straight to the league after this year, and then you got to come back to Syracuse. And then you got to play That's That's the approach, man. That's the approach. Hey, the draft guys would tell you I'm too old at this point. <laughs> Facts. Hey, you do got Jeremy Grant making some waves this year, so that's good for Syracuse. You know, Tyler Lydon obviously got got waved by the Kings, so that's a little bit tough. But you know, one goes down, and then you get Michael Carter Williams on a resurgence of his NBA career. So you know, the the more success the former Syracuse guys have in the NBA, and the more they can be around the program, that that would be a huge uh, a huge tailwind for Syracuse and. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes on the recruiting front. As you mentioned, the, the Kennedy Chandler kid, he's a point guard, but you know Syracuse did already pick up a, a commitment from Kadari Richmond, six foot five combo guard out of Brooklyn for next year. So that's that's a big pickup for them. Uh, you know, you bring in a guard, you bring in another forward, and they're both top one hundred recruits. So uh, you know, a good couple of pickups for Syracuse, and we'll see who else they could scoop up on the recruiting trail. All right, Colgate's next, next Wednesday, a long layoff for Syracuse here. We're getting back into those non-conference games. I think Seattle is next Saturday, so we'll see a lot of Syracuse at the Dome. We'll get a lot more developments in terms of the depth of this roster and what this team's going to look like. A massive disappointment to begin the year in one of the bigger games that Syracuse had a chance to win during this season. So much uncertainty. We have a little bit of clarity now and a fun night to cap it off. Great to see a lot of the guys hanging out there. We're going to get back into some more normalcy now. So, James, we'll talk in about 10 days. Be good or be good at it.